This is episode 35 of the Inspired Energy Podcast with Murray Guest. Now, in this episode, I'm catching up with Eddie Enova. Now, I've got to know Eddie through uh, my wife, Tammy, and her program, and Eddie is an awesome guy. He's a naturopath, cancer coach, and meditation teacher. Now, Eddie focuses through his work with people who have been through cancer and chronic disease. Um, in our conversation, Eddie and I explore and talk about his own cancer journey and what that has meant to him personally and how he taps into that to really connect with those people that he helps. I loved Eddie's uh, ability to just go there and really talk about the ups and downs and how he has learned so much from that through his cancer journey. He's so passionate about helping people um, wherever they are in their journey and really partnering with them to help them be their best and to really support them on their health and well-being journey. Uh, we talk for quite some time about that and also um, he's also now on this 40-day challenge where he's doing um, an ice bath challenge over those 40 days and we talked a bit about that as well and, and what impact that's been having to him and, and his health as well. So that was really cool to explore. So here I go with Eddie catching up on episode 35. Eddie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction. Well, I speak from the heart, my friend, you know that. Um, you are uh, an inspiring person and just a, a wonderful, I would say, I'm not going to call you a naturopath or a uh, a cancer coach or a meditation teacher. They're all great things that you do, but just as a person, I love the way you show up and the way that you talk and what you bring um, in this world. So um, looking forward to connecting today. How you been? I've been really good. I've been really good. Life's good. And when you say life's good, what have you been up to lately? What have I been up to lately? So mindful not to make myself too busy, um, but I'm on a bit of a, a transformation at the moment. Um, I'm doing a 40-day transformation um, and it involves seeing what the body can do in a 40-day period, but also want to prove to myself that I can commit to myself for 40 days and also a little bit of you know, interest to see what the body can actually do as well. But just to really transform mentally, emotionally and, and physically. Um, uh, you know, I feel really good, but, you know, with my history with cancer and you know, all that sort of stuff. I've only really just felt like my, my life's really getting back on track, like uh, with my career, with finances, with just everything. And um, I realised when I looked down that my midsection had grown a tiny bit. <laughs> so um, the actual thing, and I, I put it on my Facebook post when I um, released that I was doing a 40-day challenge and it all started with belly button fluff. <laughs> and I realised that I was accumulating more belly button fluff, believe it or not. Um, and that was my eye-opening moment to go, ooh, I need to get active. Um, and I've been so involved. hang on a minute. Is belly button <laughs> fluff, is that a problem? No, I think it's not a problem whatsoever, but it was the, the amount and the frequency that I had to look into my belly button to clean out what was there. It oh, sounds okay. ridiculous, but that was the eye-opening moment that I had to go, oh, I haven't been doing as much exercise lately. You know, I've been quite busy with work and things like that. And um, yeah. Yeah, I just wasn't happy um, physically where I was. So I made the decision, um, you know, I'm going to give myself 40 days to recreate myself. And so I designed a program, basically a 40 day, you know, um, 40 and 40 transformation. And I'm just going for it. 
Oh, fantastic. So yeah. if, if I think really about good. my body and your body, yeah. so I get this. So if I think about my body, it's all about moving what's around the midriff up to the chest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that, and I'm not saying just the fat, I'm saying I want to move that extension of the front of the body, the, 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 the bit of the gut to the chest. Is, is that, yeah. is that how we're exploring your 40 day transformation or is there some other measures as well? Oh, I did. I did, you know, a lot of measures like to actually see where I was at, like when it came to like blood work and body fat composition and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I just really want to see what I can do in 40 days because I'm going to do it at the halfway mark at the 20 day mark. I'm, I'm on day 10 now. Um, so I'll do it in another 10 days. I'll do another full workup and see where I'm at. Then at the very end, I'll do it again. Mm. Um, but really just trying to change body composition, but it's not just physical. It's also just, just mentally, um, you know, uh, just with the stresses of everyday living and business and things like that. I just noticed that emotionally I was good, but I could be better. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so how- dedicating also the 40 days to, to go in within with mindfulness and meditation and a practice called loving kindness directed towards myself, just to, just to, you know, take me up a couple of notches. Like I said, I feel really good, but I know that I can feel better and um, I'm going to do that. What's the biggest change you've noticed in the first 10 days? First 10 days, physically, I feel really strong. Yeah, physically, I feel really strong. Um, uh, mentally, much calmer. So when it comes to sort of self-regulation of emotion, I've noticed a bit of a difference there, which is good. Um, just be able to keep yourself calm in different you know, challenging situations, whether that's work or whether that's children. Um, noticing that I've had some benefit there. But yeah, physically, I feel really good at the moment. Oh, fantastic. And yeah. um, have you changed, can I just check in, have you changed your diet much as well as yeah. part of this program? Yeah, I have. I have. I've just sort of cleaned it up a little. I've gone a bit lighter with the diet. So with the caloric intake, I've lightened up and I'm doing a bit of a, an anabolic cleanse. So I'm using a few things to help to, to build lean muscle mass um, and drop body fat. So it's a bit of a structured program that I've, I've nutted out and sort of designed for myself. I'm a pretty big guy. I'm six foot seven. Um, so... You know, I, I need a fair few calories just to maintain the um, the frame, but um, I've sort of individualized it for myself just so I can, again, just drop that body fat percentage on the physical level. My son has a friend, um, so son's 17, and his friend is about 6'4", maybe 6'4 and a half. So as yeah. a you know, 16, 17-year-old, he's quite a tall young man. Yeah. They get a big, aren't they? Yeah. But what I noticed with, and because he plays basketball and some of those taller boys, I noticed there's a, um, a tendency to sort of stoop a little bit because they're yeah. the taller boys. Is that something that you've had to be mindful of as well with your height? If I do, it's probably not a conscious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my doorways are always duck a little bit. That's just a natural response because I've, come a cropper a couple of times of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no I think I carry my frame relatively well um, I've never been sort of one to like sort of hunch down to get to other people's levels um, I don't think uh, but it's not something definitely not conscious if I do it it's not on a conscious level no, it's never really been a big thing for me I don't see height as you know, being you know, anything out of than the normal it's just it's just my machine isn't it i um, think i think the fact you carry around a milk crate for other people to come up to your level for them to stand gives on. away does it yeah yeah i think that's yeah, yeah. that's a really great approach <laughs> <laughs> thanks murray thanks
worries. No worries, mate. <laughs> now, to change the topic up a little bit to how yep. we got to this point or where you are in your life right now, yep. uh, you have had a bit of a journey and you touched on it just, just a moment ago, uh, mentioning your cancer journey and what that's been like. Um, mm. I'd love for you to share the journey you've had and, and what you've got out of that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So it all started 10 days before Christmas in 2013, actually. Um, I had a diagnosis of testicular cancer. Um, you know, and at that point there, you know, my, my then wife, she, well, we, she was pregnant and I had a two and a half year old. Um, and life sort of come crashing down at that, you know, it just wasn't expected to get the, the big word, the big C word mm. and really not knowing what to, what to make of it. And so close to Christmas too, with all the energy of Christmas, um, four days later I was in, in hospital, I was getting Mr. Righty chopped off. Um, and then from there really, I went on a bit of a, a two year journey of battling for my life. Um, at the beginning it was all very low key and it was just like you need just a tiny bit of chemo like literally like one dose of chemo and that'll that'll sort it for people that don't know testicular cancer is the most treatable cancer that you can actually get um, it's got very high success rates with like first line treatment so you should you know you know generally you have the operation you get the testing removed and then you have a little bit of chemotherapy and then that's it um you know success rates right up in the 94 96 percent success rate yet with me i had a two-year battle. I had three relapses in two years. Um, it got, you know, quite advanced. It spread, so it got metastatic into my body. And then I had, at my worst, I had a nine-centimeter by eight by three-centimeter tumor in my abdomen that was pushing my bowel up against my abdominal wall. I had mm. two tumors in my chest. I had two under my collarbone, one in my neck, and one in my lung. Um, it was, you know, a lot of tumor burden, and it was getting quite aggressive. And because I'd had so much treatment. Each unsuccessful treatment with chemotherapy, it gets more and more aggressive. Um, so essentially what happens is with cancer, you have weak cells and you have strong cancer cells and the weak die first and the strong take a little bit more. And so when you have unsuccessful treatment, what was left behind was the strong ones. And then it's the strong ones that regrow. And so they end up with a population of strong ones, if that makes sense. And so that happened three times. So I got to a point where the drugs weren't working on me anymore. So I was quite chemo resistant um, and it was very, very heavy treatment. Um, so I really had to look into what was going on. Like I, it just didn't make sense. You know, the science shows that I should be getting the sorted first line, first line treatment. You know, I was doing the right thing, dietary or supporting with the right supplementation without interfering with it. And yet it kept coming back after three months, after six months and so on. So, you know, I really had to take a, a step back and, and look at like, what's going on here? Like, why, why aren't I getting well? And at that point, it became really quite obvious that it wasn't what I was doing that was the problem. So it wasn't the treatments. It was the way that I was doing it was the problem. So at that time, I was in quite a stressed out world. Um, I had a relatively large health center. We had 15 practitioners working with us, everything from chiropractors to psychologists to massage therapists, you know, you name it. We sort of had it, 15 of us. Um, we had a cafe, a yoga hall. Um, it was a big... Um, acre block or three quarters of an acre block that it was all on. So it was a lot of upkeep and I was essentially pretty much a single operator. You know, I didn't know what I was doing when it came to business. I actually got gifted that business. I got given it for free, um, which, you know, that doesn't happen. You know, it's a, it was a 10 year old <laughs> business and I got literally gifted it by this beautiful lady who uh, I hold very dear to my heart. And um, 
I didn't know anything like literally I know nothing about business, but I knew how to work hard. So I, I worked hard and I worked yep. harder when it wasn't working. I just kept working harder. Um, and you know how it can be with a business. Sometimes you can wear many hats. You know, I was scrubbing toilets, I was mowing lawns, I was marketing. You know, I was micromanaging fifteen people, and then I was a naturopath, so I was consulting at the same time, and then doing the back end stuff with the bookkeeping and all that type of things. Um, I was incredibly stressed out, incredibly unfulfilled, and really unhappy, to be honest. Um, and it got to that third relapse where I had to go, wow. No, I'm trying to get well in an environment that's not conducive to getting well. And it's my life at the moment is what the problem is. So I had to make massive changes. Um, and it took until the third relapse for me to really understand what the disease was calling from me. And so I had to really look at the business and we ended up selling that business um, to one of the practitioners and it was great. It sold very, very quickly, which took that pressure off me massively. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to look at, working smarter not harder and being able to, to delegate work um, which I wasn't very good at um, and so I had to make massive changes in my life I had to find meaning and purpose within my diagnosis and and when I did that it, and it unlocked the ability for me to to get well um, it played a really huge part and it was a really powerful lesson for me in the role of stress in human health and also how powerful stress can be in blocking some of the best treatments in the world uh, whether that's medicine or naturopathic or anything um it's so so powerful and yet it gets no airplay whatsoever you know we don't talk about stress you know it's that it's that thing out there wherever there is you can't see you can't smell it you can't measure it's not like a lump or a bump on you or a rash you take notice it sort of festers away in the background um and it just doesn't get you know the airplay that it deserves and it was a really powerful lesson for me in that and i had to change to, to save my life I also went overseas. I went overseas for eight weeks. And I, um, at that point, because the, the drugs weren't working, I had to go above and beyond. I had to essentially create my own statistics. So I went overseas and I did some very in-depth hypothermia work, so heat treatment where you heat the body up uh, to sensitize the cancer that's in the system to a treatment, to an oxidative treatment like chemotherapy. And so I, I spent eight weeks in the Philippines, deep in the heart, in the provinces of, of the Philippines at a hypothermia clinic, an Israeli guy uh, who's an academic doctor uh, who lived over there because he was married to a Filipino just in the, in the middle of whoop whoop. Um, and I was out there, you know, six foot seven white guy, um, deep in the provinces and you know, the average height over there is about four foot. Um, so they thought I was some sort of God in there. It was these <laughs> like massive Filipino smiles looking at you everywhere. Um, I'd go, it made me laugh and go into the shopping centers and all the, um, the, uh, the shelves are at Filipino height, so I'd be walking through and it was at my, my, like my nipple height and so I could just see the whole shop and everyone's like, the whole shop would stop and look at me. Uh, it was quite interesting. So, yeah, I spent eight weeks over there baking myself like a cooked chook, essentially. Um, I came back for my last lot of treatment and that's where I got well. I mm. came back, I'd made massive changes, got my stress levels right down, did the work overseas, came back, had my last lot, 12 weeks of chemotherapy and at that point, the cancer literally just melted away. It was like a you know, a hot knife and butter. My oncologist just couldn't believe what was happening because it wasn't expected. I was pretty much, you know, going to be very, very hard to save my life at that point. And um, it just melted away. And that, that was it. I, that was the end of the cancer for me. Um, but as anyone who's been through cancer knows, it's not just a physical disease. You know, my mental health took a really big hit. Yep. Um, my marriage took a really big hit. My wife actually left me in the middle of chemotherapy. Um, the stress of the whole journey just got too much. And, you know, we parted ways while I was undergoing treatment, which was really hard. 
Mm. Um, and so I got through the physical disease, but honestly, it's taken me about four years to get my life back on track when it comes to you know, me, who I am, remembering who I am, my place in the world, what this world really works, you know, means. You know, cancer's got this amazing way of reprioritizing life and the reds look redder, the greens look greener and what was used to be important isn't so important anymore. Um, and so trying to integrate having that sort of new perspective on life but trying to integrate back into the modern world which doesn't necessarily work like that is a real challenge and many many cancer patients really really struggle with this integrating back in post-cancer so there's a study done and they looked at cancer patients who had successful treatment one year out and 100 percent of cancer patients are depressed so ed i've just got us back up and running again after a little bit of technical complications going on but we're good i want to actually go right back to the start did you have any symptoms was there anything that you knew um which led to you getting your diagnosis listen there wasn't a lot um at that stage i was in my body if that makes sense i was up in my head um, dealing with the stresses of everything. So I wasn't overly bodily aware, I suppose. Um, towards the end, I was starting to get some sort of drawing pains in the, the pelvis sort of region, like the inguinal canal type bit, um, mm-hmm. which started to worry me a little bit, some dull aching sort of things that wouldn't go away. And then on examination, I realised that, you know, when the right testy was quite large, um, probably too large, um, and luckily... Uh, I have a, one of my good friends, a doctor, a GP. So I got to, to go straight to him and then we got the, the ultrasound straight away and then you know, it just rolled from there. So, you know, in the lead up, not a lot. So, Ed. Yeah. Let's just have a bit of a, a exploration about um, how cancer patients um, are treated or I guess the support that's available to them because what I... I'm aware of is the great work you do, you do now and I'm making a big assumption. So please help me out that the work that you do just wasn't available to you when you were going through um, your own um, cancer story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with cancer, because obviously when you've got cancer, you go to typically a GP first and then you end up in front of an oncologist at some point. Now, the issue is around cancer. Anyone who's been through cancer will attest to this, that you know, cancer is so much more than just a physical disease. You, know, you have mental, you have emotional components, even spiritual components, if you're that way inclined. And when you go to your oncologist, they are very good at looking at the physical aspect of your disease. And for me and what I've learned from my patients, I've treated hundreds and hundreds of cancer patients, is that the tumour or the tumours are the symptom of the disease, not necessarily the disease. They are an act, they're absolutely a problem, but they're not the problem. Um, and when you go to the oncologist, all the attention is going to go onto the lump or the bump, not necessarily onto why the lump or the bump's there. So medicine is very good at treating the what of the disease and not so good at treating the why of the disease. Um, and so absolutely for myself, you know, there was no one there. There was no conversations ever um around you know why this happens it's all you know damage control which is understandable because it's usually quite an urgent thing you know early intervention is very very important for the best outcomes 
Um, but if you're looking for emotional support or anything like that, you, you won't find that within medicine. Um, you, you may be lucky enough with a compassionate oncologist to get a referral out to a, a cancer counsellor. Um, so the cancer council, they actually do have psychologists and counsellors associated with them that you can talk to and they're very... Um, very skilled at dealing with what comes up for cancer patients. Um, but yeah, I suppose for your question, you know, there, there is support. There's a lot of support with cancer council and some of their little offshoots. Um, but it's not really made overly, you aren't made overly aware of them sometimes. Um, and you know, because you're in damage control, so it's all about getting, get in, get your treatment, get your you know, your, your cannula is bumped in again on your chemo or your, your radiation or whatever is going to happen for you. So it's, it's quite a hectic time. Um, I call it the oncology train. It just takes off and it drags you behind. Um, and it's quite quite disempowering because you just have to rock up and you just take the beating because these, these treatments are really, really harsh. Um, you know, it takes a lot of resolve and resilience for people to get through the stuff and to deal with the side effects. Um, they are very harsh drugs and some of these treatments like radiation, you know, takes its toll as well. So... Yeah, honestly, a lot of people when you're in that first stage, you're in that shock, shock stage um, and it can be, you know, you're just going along and doing what you're told. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and you also talked about your trip to the Philippines and how that was obviously a breakthrough in helping you get that difference in your treatment. Um, what was that actually like going through that where you're going through that that treatment and as you said, heating up your body. Yeah. Um, listen, it, it, it was eight weeks. It was a long time to be away from family and you know, my children. Um, but it was what needed to happen. You know, I knew why I was going over there. You know, in the back of my mind, I had, you know, this, this sort of hope that I'd go over there, I'd do this hypothermia treatment, the cancer would disappear, I'd come back and everything would be fantastic. That wasn't the case. Uh, I went over there and I went through eight weeks of pretty grueling uh, hypothermia. And to to put it in perspective, there was a systemic hypothermia that I'd do. So I'd go into a hypothermia machine and essentially what they'd do, they'd heat your body up. So your head would be poking out, but your body was in this machine and it would heat the body up and you'd measure your oral temperature and you'd take your temperature up to around about 40 degrees. Celsius, which if you've ever experienced a 40 degree fever, that's a steaming fever. Um, that is really, really challenging. And I would hold that for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, it wasn't fun, but I'd do that three times a week. And then the rest of it would be localized hypothermia, which was easy. It was just heating one area of the body up where the tumor was or tumors were. And so, you know, it was quite challenging with that. Um, but at the end of the treatment, um, my cancer hadn't gone. In fact, it had grown. In fact, it had tripled in size. Um, I was really unwell by the time I got back. Um, I was in a lot of pain because of the, the large tumour in my, um, my abdomen, which was in, in between my aorta and uh, vena cava, which is quite a dangerous sort of place for it, the two major art, um, vessels in your body, and um, the big sheet tumour, they called it. And I had to act pretty quickly. And so that's when we got in the chemotherapy, but then that's when everything started to melt away. So I'd gone over hoping that the hypothermia would have you know, cured it, but it didn't, but it was a very crucial part in allowing the treatment to follow, which was the chemotherapy when I got back to work to full extent. And that's when I had the, the total resolution. Um, 
So, you know, it was hard going over there and being away for eight weeks, but in that it was also amazing because I got a lot of time to go within and really look at why this had happened to me, which was really important. Oh, and I can imagine, as you said, that eight weeks was, was difficult being away from the family, but it was something you had to do. And, and I, I can't imagine, like you're saying, what it's like to heat your body up to 40 degrees and, and hold that for 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. I know one of the things you're doing in your 40-day challenge is the complete opposite of that right now. I am. I am. Yeah. Not <laughs> which for 40 is, minutes, though. Not for 40 minutes. <laughs> no. So the, the ice baths, which yeah. are obviously and uh, a, a very much a different approach. Um, yeah. uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, what's been your biggest lesson, do you think, through this uh, cancer journey? There's two big lessons. The first one was what I mentioned earlier, which is around stress. So it was a major schooling in the role of stress in human health and how important it is and how detrimental and how powerful it is um, and, and how we have to take it so very, very seriously. And um, that was the first one. And the second one was one about balance and how, how important balance is in life. Um, and how important it is for me to maintain my balance. So whether that be the balanced diet or the, the balanced financial state or you know, the work-life balance, um, it was a very, very important lesson to show me how to work smarter, not harder, um, rather than just slog it out um, and really actively work on maintaining balance in life. That was the two big lessons around stress and around balance. Mm. Um, and... Now you are a cancer coach. Yeah. And when you work with people, um, are you working with them uh, at different stages throughout their, their treatment and their diagnosis? Um, how do you actually work with them? Yeah, so it depends. Everyone comes in at different stages. Typically, they come in late in the piece because so much we have so much faith in their medicine for good reason. But... With oncology, the success rates aren't overly good. Um, and so typically by the time someone comes to me, they've gone through the chemotherapy or the radiation, it hasn't worked or it's come back, they've had relapses and they're searching for options. I would love to personally see them at the beginning of the treatment so I can complement their traditional oncology care because we can get better results by working alongside the oncologist in the treatments. But the reality is I don't typically because we, we do hold our doctors in very high regard and you know, we, we put our faith in them. Um, and so sometimes that doesn't happen. I do sometimes get people at the beginning, but more than likely they're, they're through the piece somewhere and they're looking for other, other options. Um, and so you know, I take them on a bit of a journey into what it means for themselves. But we also, you know, there's dietary measures that we do, very specific interventions. Um, you know, specific supplementation that helps chemotherapy to work better. Um, there's the emotional support, so I'm there to, to support them through that so they can hop on the phone and talk to me whenever they need to. Um, I'm a very big proponent of meditation and mindfulness practices. Um, it, it played a huge role in my life, my stress levels, and during that period. Um, so I teach that, I'm a meditation teacher, so I, I teach all my clients very in-depth uh, skills when it comes to the internal arts of meditation and mindfulness um, to help them to, to regulate that stress through their journey, uh, just to give them the best chance at their treatments working. And, you know, your body just doesn't get well when you're in stress. When you're in fight or flight, your body doesn't get well. 
it's not it's not a program for healing it's a program for survival so it's a, it's teaching people how how to get their body out of that fight or flight survival mode into a mode that's conducive to getting well um and sometimes that's the most important thing you know it's because you're blocking treatments like myself and my story my stress was blocking my treatments and it took me three times because i'm a bit of a dummy sometimes to actually really learn that um but it was a powerful lesson in that I can hear that. And I guess what I'm also thinking about. So if someone is listening to our conversation and they're thinking about their own stress Mm -hmm. and uh, whether they are or are not um, experiencing what you have, but just we all experience stress in some way. Yeah. What, what's your, your recommended tips around dealing with stress? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes we can change our stresses. You know, sometimes we take on too much stuff and we create our own stress. So the key with stress is if there's stress there that can actually be mitigated or, you know, delegated to some somewhere else, you know, to actually get rid of the stress. But, you know, the reality in life is that we have stresses that we can't change. You know, we can't change that we feel unfulfilled in our career or there's issues in our marriage or our financial state. These can't be changed easily. Um, so sometimes it's about changing our relationship to the stress. So the way that we perceive our stress, um, and this is where the internal work comes in. And this is why the internal arts like meditation are quite powerful because it starts to change your perspectives on life and your relationships to your life. So you can still have that stress for life, yet the stress doesn't have to actually impact your health physically, mentally, emotionally by changing that relationship to it. And, you know, meditation, it isn't hard. You know, there's many forms too. That could be in the form of breath work. So deep breathing, you know, just deep diaphragmatic breathing is, is a simple meditation that's incredibly powerful and really, really good for you to get breathing properly deep into your lungs, into your belly. Um, or it could be a formal meditation practice. Um, or it could be, you know, one of your hobbies. It could be something like, you know, painting. Um, you know, if you're into oil paintings, you know, that's a meditative process potentially. There's lots of ways to get into that zone, that relaxed state. Meditation is particularly powerful because it's the active form of sitting down with the intent to get into that state. And that state's called the relaxation response where you feel like calmness walk over you. That's an actual physiological response that you can learn how to actually produce in your body. Um, and, you know, it's replicable, re- repeatable. So you can learn those skills and you can apply it to your daily life and then you can start to, to see the changes happen happen visualization as part of that process and 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 meditating around what are you visualizing are you visualizing things going wrong are you visualizing your future and and moving forward and 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 how powerful that is and and how that connects back to that grounding as well yeah absolutely you know these contemplative traditions which are the internal arts of meditation you know you can use imagery, you can use journaling, you know, you can pose questions to yourself and sit on that, wait for the wisdom to come through. And then you can you know, jot that down in journals and explore it on paper. You know, it's just a really healthy thing to do to get the stresses inside your head out of your body. Um, you know, so many of us have these stresses and they stay inside of our body. And it's, it's like repressive coping or um, internalized stress. And that's the stuff that makes you really, really unwell is when you don't express your emotions, your stress in a healthy fashion. And many people aren't comfortable uh, or have the skill set to really, you know, express their stresses in uh, conducive ways that are that are healthy ways. And, and when you don't, you just bottle it up and it festers. And the chemistry of that stress, all the 
you know, the detrimental chemistry that stress produces. And these are inflammatory chemicals like cytokines and interleukins, which flare the body up. You know, there's studies that show it, it increases cancer growth. You know, you've got a whole different sort of hormone, hormones that get released into the body and they make you feel horrible. And if you've got that chemistry floating through your veins day in, day out because of your perceptions, you know, you can, you know, you can do a lot of damage, you know, physically, but also mentally and emotionally. And it can take you into that negative mindset where you're, you're only seeing the negative stuff in the, in the world around you as opposed to the beautiful, positive stuff that's there. But you're looking at it through different lenses, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think you raise a really good point. And I, I definitely don't know anywhere near as much about this as you do, but I have heard about it around when we do have those hormones and chemicals being released under stress mm. that they to put it in a real simple terms, help create an environment for the cancer to survive. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, an inflammatory state. So most of these, because if you, if you look at what stress is, it's that survival response. A tiger jumps out, you've got two options, you fight or you flight. And so your body gears up to do that. And so it prepares for injury because, you know, when you battle against a tiger, pretty likely you're going to get a scratch on you. And so you get these inflammatory chemicals pumped into the body to get you ready for that. Now, the problem is back in the day, we would have got gouged by the boar or the tiger or whatever it might have been. But these days, the tigers look a little bit different. You know, they look like the bank balance or they look like the bank manager or they look like you know, the wife or they look like the business or whatever it might be. And the injuries never come. And so that chemistry doesn't have an opportunity to be used up and metabolized out the body. And so it persists in the body and we start to build on that day in, day out because we don't have... The stresses of old were acute stresses that come into your life. You'd have that stress and then you'd come back down to a healthy baseline. Whereas these days, we, we don't have that sort of stress. We have more chronic persistent stress, which is the day in, day out, daily grind, one stress after another stress. And we have multiple stresses on us all at once. And so that chemistry is just floating through us all the time. And there's never that release. Uh, there's never that coming back to baseline. Mm. That's how stress makes you really unwell. And when you understand it on that, that deeper level, you realize that it's such a major thing for human health that you've got to take it really seriously. But like I said at the beginning, it doesn't get taken overly seriously because we can't see it. We can't measure it. You know, I think humans, we tend to act when we feel pain or something grows, then we'll act. But when we can't see it, it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's there somewhere, but it's, you know, out of sight, out of mind type of thing. I can imagine too the importance of the people around someone and how they are supporting the reduction of the stress, yeah. uh, you know, in, in life, but also in, uh, you know, when you've had a cancer diagnosis and, um, and how they are helping reduce the stress around that. And as hard as that might be, but the, the language they're using, the way they're showing up, the way they're supporting um, so that again, they're helping reduce that stress to help you, um, be in the best place possible for your own treatment and recovery. Yeah. yeah, but it's a hard, you know, they are having their own experience of their loved one, mm. their beloved um, being unwell and fighting for their life. You know, cancer is a, a dance of death. You know, it's, it's potentially for some people their first experience of their mortality. And so it's quite confronting and the whole family has cancer. And this is what I, when I counsel these people, when they come in, you know, I love it when they, the whole family comes because they all have cancer, just not, you know, most of the family doesn't have the physical burden, but they're carrying the mental, the emotional and the spiritual burden of having cancer. And so they all deal with it in different ways and some deal better than, 
deal uh, better than others do and some of them have to withdraw um, some break down and some people are the rocks for the family and it's really important for these groups these families to travel the path together um, and so I really encourage that um, that their families travel with this as a unified front um, and it's sad because some people don't have that um, but um, yeah it's really important so um, you've mentioned a little bit just about how you work with people uh, in, in the work that you do. What does that look like? Yeah, so I typically, there's lots of ways that I work, but the best way that I work is I have a, a four-month um, cancer support program. Uh, it's called Your Hero's Journey. And it's about taking people, you know, from you know, when they walk into the office through to a successful outcome. Um, and it's teaching them the skills of mindfulness meditation. It's you know getting them on the right dietary intervention and the right supplementation to complement their oncology care. You know supporting them emotionally through that, um, and also helping them to find the meaning and purpose of their diagnosis. So why they are well, and really encouraging and supporting and coaching them through and how to you know make the changes in their life that the disease is calling for. Um, and so that's a bit of a journey that I take people on. Um, and four months is the start. It's, you know, I'd be, it's unrealistic to say four months is, you know, you get all that done in four months, but four months is the starting. Um, and it gets people on a, on a new path to life and start living life again, not just existing through it. Um, and, it's, and I derive a huge amount of meaning and purpose from it. Um, you know, these people, when they sit in front of me, you know, I, I feel them, I know what they're going through because I've been there. Um, and so I can connect to them on a much deeper level, I feel, uh, just because it's coming from a place of, yeah, I get it, I know. Um, mm. And then the message comes through you know, much stronger for them. And if oh, I, can be, you know, I can be vulnerable with them, it allows them to be vulnerable, and then that's when you can really shift people is when their vulnerability comes forward. Yeah, and I know how much you... Um believe as I do the power of that vulnerability and I've loved your vulnerability in sharing in this conversation. And I have, what I've experienced is when people do open up and have that vulnerability, some of that stress comes away with it as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people put up the, the facades and, you know, when tough things happen, what are we trained to do in Australia? Toughen up princess, cup of concrete, get on with it. Uh, and all that is, is essentially code word for, all right, repress that emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody, you know. Um, and so if, if you can mirror to them that it's okay to, to not be okay um, and, and help to draw that out of them, and then it, it just, you know what it's like. To have a big cry feels fantastic. To, you know, to have a, an outburst, it, it helps you to feel better. And so realise that they don't have to hold face and be that strong pillar. It's all right to have days that are really average. Um, it's just, you know, wallow in those days. Um, so yeah, it's just about helping people to to purge that stuff out to allow them to move forward those next steps. Yeah, well, and and, and powerful. Um, so, I and just to check in, um, you are based in Perth. Do you work with people outside of um, Perth as well? So yeah, some of the, on... yeah, I work with people all over Australia and New Zealand. Um, yeah, and so you know, distance is an issue because obviously with Zoom and Skype these days, it's very easy, and we just. Uh, you know, express post, you know, supplies and things like that out. I most a lot of my program is video based, so a lot of online content that they can watch of me talking to them about the different topics and training them in meditation and breath work and things like that. So, you know, distance is an issue. Yeah, great. I mean, Perth is a very long way away, let's be honest. It is. It is. You don't realize until you have to pay to go over east. <laughs> <laughs> 
(laughs) It's the same country, I believe. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you grow up in Perth? No, I was born in New Zealand, actually. Ah. I've been here since I was nine, so I'm an Aussie, but I was born in the Bay of Islands in New Zealand. Yeah, okay. Kiwi fruit country. So you're a Kiwi uh, to an Aussie, so you're a bit like Russell Crowe, like, you know, have done that transition, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And why? um, I assume, though, Perth feels like home? It does. It does. Um, I don't, I haven't really lived anywhere else in Australia. Um, and I really enjoy Perth. It's got a very laid back sort of feel, which suits me. It is a, uh, it is a beautiful, I mean, I, I joke. I'm getting but to it, love and enjoy traveling a lot more. Yeah, I joke, but it is a beautiful part of the world. It is. Yeah. yeah. And we did touch on something briefly. I just want to go back to it. So <clears throat> as part of your 40 day challenge, I know you're also doing some, hypothermic work if that's a correct correct term some ice baths yep yeah, um, so hypo hypothermic yes how's that going cold, Very cold. <laughs> <laughs> well it's working it's working then yes yeah so you know my my aim was to do 40 ice baths in 40 days i'm on day 10 now um it's pretty cold so cold showers are one thing ice bath is a whole another level of chili um, it's typically around about 1.82 degrees is what I'm jumping into. Um, but I'm only in there for four minutes. Um, believe it or not, you feel fantastic. Um, it's very, very healthy, much like the, the heat treatment that I did. Um, it stimulates a, the exact same thing in the body. Uh, it's called hormesis, which um, is a, a full body response that hardens the body up. And there's a huge amount of health benefits from this hormesis. Um, you can do it through heat or cold. I'm doing cold for ice immersion. Um, so, yeah, it's challenging, but, you know, it's very much a mind game. You know, the, the cold is just cold, you know, it's, and it's very, very cold, but it's still just cold. Uh, the biggest thing is the psychological barriers of jumping in when you can see the ice bath full of massive chunks of ice. Um, and once you're in there, everything in you wanting to get out, you don't let yourself you know, it's a little bit of a uh, metaphor for life sometimes. You know, how you conduct yourself in the ice bath is, is very similar to in life. You know, do you, do you give up and jump out or do you do whatever it takes, you know, and you stick to your goals? And um, so, yeah, I'm learning that it's much, much more about the mind than the physical, these ice, ice immersions. There's huge physical benefits, but um, there's massive mental and emotional benefits too. Well, we are catching up soon, and um, and you have uh, said we're going to have a bath together. So I'm looking yeah, forward to that bath together. Yeah. Um, uh, so just I'm already putting it out there, and maybe this is my mindset that you've been building up to this point. So you know, maybe not jumping in for the four minutes to start with. I'm just just checking in on that. That's all. Yeah. You start with cold showers. Start with you know at the end of your nice warm shower, do thirty seconds of cold, and then start to build to a minute cold, then a minute and a half, and then less hot, more cold, that sort of thing. And then that's a good transition point into jumping into something a bit cooler than that. Yeah, fantastic. And and of course, Wim Hof has done a lot in this space, yeah. and and he's done some amazing things, Absolutely. hasn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. It's all about the breath. You know, I do Wim Hof breathing technique. I actually teach my uh, um, cancer patients the Wim Hof breath technique. Um, you know, the breath is your anchor point, especially for cold work. Um, and even for stress and anxiety, it's all about the breath. You know, the breath has an amazing ability to calm the nervous system down. And so and essentially that's what's happening. You're going into the ice and your body wants to go into shock. Everything about it wants to go into shock, into shallow breathe, into shiver. 
and yet with the breath you control your nervous system and you calm it down and you stop all that happening and you keep yourself in a really calm state within these extreme conditions and the benefits then start to shine into outside life because when the stresses come in it's not ice's time but it's the, the financial issue or the you know, relationship issue whatever it is you can maintain that calmer disposition within that stressful moment so there's lots of benefits it's good fun I look yeah, forward so to I, in with you. yeah well i've done a little bit in the past um but yeah. certainly i'm looking forward to doing this with you and and as you said um how we approach the ice bath is a great indication of how we approach other parts of our life so i'm loving the thought already of how um i'm going to get insight into my own way of being and mindsets from doing this with you so yeah looking forward to it i really think we should do it live on facebook though Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> um, I'm just going out today to buy a wetsuit. That's all. So, okay, no, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if anyone wants to connect with you, wants to find out more about the programs and this amazing work you do, where's the best place to reach out online? So, yeah. So online, I have my website, which is just www.edwardenover.com. Um, I've got Facebook presence, I've got LinkedIn presence, um, yeah, Instagram as well. So any of the, the mediums you can come through. The website obviously gives you a bit of details on what I do. Um, I offer a free 30-minute uh, exploratory call with me if you do want to just have a chat and just tell me where you're at and how I can potentially help you and I give you some, some nuggets of gold to help. Um, please feel free just to book that in. you just got to go to my website and click the, the button and that'll take you through to a booking system. So that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Yeah, um, fantastic. And I, I love your story on your website that we've um, explored today, tapped into. And if anyone wants to read that again, uh, it's on your website. But also I'll make sure that a links to all of those areas to connect with you are in the show notes as well. Um, I have absolutely loved chatting with you. I love your openness and your vulnerability. And you are what I would say... Um, is a real man. You are a real man. And, oh, and thank you. And I mean that about that, that comment you meant earlier about this perception about not tapping to emotions. And, and I mean that from the depth of my heart that I love the way that you are sharing the message about actually to be a man, we tap into those emotions and we share those and we display those because this idea of hiding those doesn't help anyone. No. So yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. That's all right, my, my friend. And also just to um, ask you the last question I ask in every podcast, and that is what is your definition of inspired energy? So my definition, which it's following your bliss, which isn't my words. That's the words of Joseph Campbell. Um, if you're not familiar with Joseph Campbell, he's an amazing, amazing man um, who came up with the hero's journey. Um, and his thing was, you know, when you follow your bliss, doors will open where there were no doors. And I think, you know, when we really tap into what floats our boat, what really makes the heart sing and following our bliss, then those doors open. And that's when we have that, you know, inspired energy that we can really bring to the world. I love it. And I love Joseph's work as well. So um, I love that link and um, following your bliss. Um, is a great definition thank you so much um, ed again i really enjoyed our conversation connecting with you sharing what you do i'll make sure there's links to everything in the um, show notes anyone that's listening please share online on social media 
uh, tagging Ed and myself and hashtag inspired energy. If you got something out of this conversation and it inspired you, please uh, share that. Because uh, when you do that, it gets out to other people as well. So thank you. Um, have a great week. See you soon for an ice bath, my friend. Not a problem. Thank you, Murray. Thanks.